Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. This audio program has been carefully packed to the legal limit with a weekly allowance of non-governmentally approved deep thoughts per square minute of podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Judah and Noah. So, um, so yes, welcome. It's going to be an interesting adjustment because we're used to having conversations just face to face. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. And we thought they were interesting enough that it would be worth seeing if anyone else thought they were interesting. Yeah. So Judah has suggested that we introduce ourselves, mm-hmm. which I, I am definitely not in favor of, but let's do it. I think that's the way to go. Okay. Who are we? Who are we? And why are we doing this podcast? That's this radio hour. Exactly what I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we, we could start with the Assembly of Silence. We could talk about why we're calling it Assembly of Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go with that or yeah, do you I want think me to take yeah, a crack at it? Let's go. For, you go for it. Yeah. Because you came up with the name. You, okay. You came up with the Assembly of Silence, so, which I really, I really like that a lot. It's got a nice ring to it, but it also happens to have a meaning mm-hmm. because we, uh, we've now had a few years of really interesting conversations, and we get to a point in most of those conversations where all of a sudden there's nothing left to say, and it takes a while for us to get there, but it's a significant, significant place to get to. And there's a way in which after you spend some time thinking about things really seriously, you realize that there are some pretty serious limitations to the words and the thoughts and all that stuff. Mm. So getting comfortable with that silence that happens when everything has kind of been played out um, and acknowledging that as being a kind of root to the whole process Mm. seemed to me to be a really good anchor point. I like that. Yeah, there's, there comes a time in meaningful conversation, especially um, of the nature that we have regarding uh, the cosmos, creation, um, forces, beings, all the things that we, we discuss for the most part, that words lose their meaning, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and we get to that place, and and we fortunately get to rest in a comfortable silence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also true that even in ordinary conversation, when you're talking about mundane subjects or perhaps political, mm. uh, technical issues, that sort of thing, that uh, we run up against the limitations of the terms quite yeah. often. Right. And so meanings are things which are fluid and terms get used and abused in various ways. So uh, at a certain point, unless you're really willing to drill down on what the terms are with someone, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a a long-term process for most of us now, we're all confronted with the the limitations of our our words. And you you and I have spent... We have invested, I won't say we've spent, we have invested significant amount of time becoming familiar with each other's language. Right. 
because we come from really two different approaches. You, yeah. you very much from a, an Eastern uh, perspective with the Bagua mm-hmm. and me from a Western perspective with um, the thought stream of Rudolf Steiner and Western esotericism. Mm-hmm. And so we've really invested a lot in figuring out what, what do you mean by the words you're using what do I mean by the words I'm using? And where, where are the parallels? Where, where are we saying the same thing? Right. I think that uh, one of the challenges here is going to be to uh, introduce the audience to the background information necessary in order to make sense of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's taken time for us to get to the point where we understand what each other are talking about. And I imagine that it's going to take some time before uh, those interested out in the audience would also be comfortable enough with the various ideas to get a sense of what we're talking about. That's right. But what I can say to those of you who are listening right now is that if you make the investment, I think you'll find it well worth it. And there will be a good return on your investment that there'll be Hopefully some wonderful insights or, or you might find uh, two people that you resonate with, that you, that you feel like you're a part of this conversation. And I'd also say that certainly if there's something that we don't explain adequately that you have any questions on, uh, I encourage all of you to be active participants in this process and to send us a message and let us know what you're thinking and what we could do better in describing what we're talking about. Mm, yeah. It takes a team, doesn't it? Oh, without a doubt. We're not in this alone. That's right. So now we've kind of covered our initial topic of what the name of the podcast is about, Mm -hmm. Assembly of Silence. I guess it's time now to do what you had suggested and to introduce ourselves. I think that's a great idea. Okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Got to take a drink of water for this first. It's it's sweating over here. Oh, that's good. Well, you go first. Okay. (laughs) Well, as I said in the introduction, my name is Judah Vitell, and I, um, let's see, where do I even begin on how to introduce myself? See, this is what I was talking about. I know. So uh, I, my background is in uh, that for the last 25, 26 years, I have been studying spiritual pursuits of one shape or form of another or another and have been invested in the alternative health field. So I've been a nutritionist and lifestyle coach for, for about 20 years and have been blending that with spiritual understandings and particularly the the main influence for me has been the work of Rudolf Steiner and and what is known as anthroposophy which that's really where I've got my biggest insights on how the soul and spirit are integrated with the physical body and how um, uh, how food nutrition thought forms the emotional life are all working together to uh, inform the spirit of this physical reality. And that's been really what I've been trying to figure out is what is the essential nature of the human being and its relationship to the cosmos. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good way of characterizing um, a common interest. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I might be less inclined to say human being. Mm-hmm. I might just say something like uh, being, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. uh, human is a, a whole topic in and of itself. Uh, I I am always somewhat um, skeptical of everything. So one way of of introducing myself would be to say that uh, that I am continually calling into question everything that is posed. And one of the things that I would um, that I tend to question is when. Uh, people have to give some sort of credentials in order to qualify whatever it is they're going to say next. Mm. So uh, that's the hesitation that I have in talking about myself. But uh, just to be a good sport, I'll I'll introduce myself. Uh, My name is Noah Woodoff. I I am a jack-of-all, master-of-none, recovering musician, practitioner of Tai Chi Chuan and Qigong and uh, and incurable thinker. I think that's a really accurate uh, description of yourself. Uh, it just came right out of the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the things that I, I greatly appreciate about you is your capacity for thinking. That your 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 thinking is like a samurai sword. It's incredibly sharp. And you really know how to use it wisely. Well, thank God that at least there's one person out there who thinks that. And I guess we'll find out if there's anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was the first thing I noticed about you because uh, when we first met, which was a really brief introduction from where I was working at one time, and you had said you had made a few statements and I knew right away this is somebody I could have a very sharp intellectual conversation with and and I had a friend before I moved here to Oregon I lived in North Carolina and I had a a very dear friend Jeff Barney who is a very sharp thinker such as yourself incurable thinker Hmm. like you and we would sharpen our swords together Hmm. our thought swords and when I met you I knew immediately that that here's a man I can do this with also, and I've really appreciated that about you. It's been an amazing process for me as well, and it was absolutely clear from the moment that we met that this was what we were meant to do, (laughs) (laughs) which is a completely unique experience for me Mm. because more often than not, there are no takers. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I throw something into a conversation, uh, that might be in some way or another... (sighs) off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. There are very few people who pick it up and are like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, I'd like to play on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a great uh, experience and uh, a lot of development in it and a lot of really interesting things to discuss. So perhaps we should get around to actually talking about something interesting. <laughs> I think that's a great <laughs> idea. I think it's enough introduction. So, you, need, you're, you know, and the reality is as people get to know us as, as we go. Right. So we have that covered. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about next? <laughs> That's a really great question. Well, I mean, we we could carry on with the conversation that we've been having around um, this morning so far. I mean, we don't have to go into the details of where we were at, but we could talk about the, the essence of what we've been discussing, which is um, coming to terms with 
realizing we need to make major changes in our lives at certain times hmm. and get out of our own way and um, stop defending, stop living a defended life. Right. I guess um, there's a number of different ways that that can be viewed. One is in a kind of uh, self-improvement thing where the self is the topic of question, mm-hmm. where we're trying to understand how to better ourselves, something along those lines. Right? Mm-hmm. And another way to approach it would be to say, well, how do things really work? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the nature of this existence? Uh, and by an understanding of that, figuring out how, what is the best attitude to adopt towards the experience I'm having so that the best possible outcomes are potentially realized. Right. Something like that. Right. Um, I prefer to think of it in those terms because I think there's a lot of. Uh, baggage that comes along with thinking of the self as being the primary question. Right. 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 But, um, but I think that's the way where it's easiest for people to relate to mm-hmm. because we typically do think of ourselves as being the primary thing of question, you know. Right. We're very self-centric. Yeah. Because it feels as if we're having a unique experience from a particular point within time and space. Right. And it's happening to us. Mm. So it, it's built into the fabric of the setup that the self would feel like the primary thing. Right, right. You made an interesting statement right there that we think that it's happening to us. Mm. I, always, I often wonder, um, are the things that we think are happening to us are they actually coming from us? Well, the way that I lay that out in my mind is that we have sense information and the sense information is uh, interpreted by our, you could say, mode of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's what becomes the experience that we have. Right, and conscious, with sense. Yes. So that's a, that's a good little bit of background information. So thinking of consciousness as being the thing that is with sense. It's married to the sense mm-hmm. apparatus. Right, the sense perceptible uh, organs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are other... Um, associations with the word consciousness. It's one of those words that's kind of a trip up. You know, it tends to uh, make a conversation somewhat sloppy if you have all these extra associations and no one's really pinned down what's meant. You know, sometimes consciousness will mean the sense of self. Right. Right. Which makes sense because if you're talking about the thing which is with senses, then part of that sensing is an internal sensing and there is that internal sensing of self. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the, there's the other meaning of consciousness, which has to do with knowing. So we are conscious of making a podcast. Right. 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 So there's this additional meaning that's kind of laid on top of it. And all that blurred together becomes sort of a confusing mess. But if you just stick with like the etymological with senses, consciousness, right. it helps to, um, to get a, a clearer sense of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And so also, self. What what are we meaning by self? Mm-hmm. Are we are we discussing just this purely material manifestation of myself, or is there the uh, eternal essence? Mm-hmm. It's another one of those oh. words that's just so unfortunately maligned. It's so pivotal and so key, and at the same time, so rarely drilled down on, so that we get a sense of what it is. And mm. you know, to some extent, because of that fact, because it's not very well defined in our lexicon, mm-hmm. we have to decide for ourselves what it means for right. ourselves. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm I'm reminded of a uh, saying from one of the Vedas, and I, I, it escapes me right now, but it goes something like, um, "More radiant than the sun." Purer than the snow, subtler than the ethers, is the self. Huh. That spirit within my heart, I am that self, that self am I. Huh. Wow, yeah. So that suggests the notion of the self as an eternal soul being. So soul, again, may be kind of an analog there, although... There's an individual soul, individual self, and then there's kind of a universal soul, universal self. And whether we can really marry the word self and soul, that could probably be a topic of conversation for a number of episodes. Right, right. But there seems to be a a pretty close uh, equivalency there. Right. I know, um, you know, for, for me, the soul is this land of thinking, feeling, and willing. It's like my thought, my thinking, my thoughts, my feelings, and my will impulses, my drives, desires, passions. That's the land of the soul for me, and that's what I'm here working out. I'm working hmm. that all out. Now, that suggests the individual soul, right? right? The individual sense of self, because those, the memories and the thinking and all that are uh, individual manifestations. Right. Right? Right. But the, the poetry that you just recited seems to be referring to the transcendent soul, something that uh, exists within a spiritual realm that's beyond our individual experience. Mm. Or perhaps we only get a, we get a flavor of it when we practice uh, meditation and various kinds of spiritual disciplines. Right, right. Um, I think that it's worth uh, discussing the unknowable base of reality for a moment, mm-hmm. you know, that because we are these individual beings living in a material reality, we're very limited in our ability to um, see the largest picture. Mm-hmm. But we're interested in that larger picture. Mm-hmm. We want to understand it to whatever extent we can. And that's what motivates these types of conversations. I'd say that fundamentally people who are interested in these dialogues want to gain whatever understanding would be available within this existence. But we are confined to particular ranges of space and time that as we understand more and more about the universe become ever more limited in their scope. So even as we expand our perceptual abilities through various forms of technology that allow us to see deeply into space, for instance, or further down into the microscopic realm, right? Uh, Both of those things essentially show us how limited our 
point of view is ultimately. So we are butting up against that all the time. And it seems to me that if you're going to have an honest exploration of these issues, you have to keep that in mind at all times that we really fundamentally don't know much. Like the things that we truly know are we know something's happening. So we know that being exists. Right. It's a pretty good starting point, but pretty limited too, right? So once we start breaking things, and this is one of the things that you and I have uh, kind of argued back and forth about, like how you break things out into differentiating, for instance, aspects of being. Right, right, right. It's one of the great challenges is to really get your mitts on that thing and get a sense of, yeah, that's actually a distinction that really makes sense. And to some extent, all distinctions are somewhat arbitrary. Mm. So we're, we're always butting up against that. And these, are, I think, are really good ground rules to keep in mind because it's so easy to get down into the rabbit hole. <laughs> and just next thing you know, you're just covered in dirt. <laughs> 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 it's all uh, so when we realize that everything is a manifestation of the mind of God mm. that's a big statement right there I know it is but it's all a manifestation from the mind of God or source or you you choose the word oh, that's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack there i know You're just jumping right in i am right that that somehow all of this came out of a void mm-hmm. right and uh maybe possibly and quite possibly we'll all be going back to a void well i'd say that all of this falls smack into the category of we don't know yeah but I also think that there's some interesting evidence to suggest that some of that may be the case. Mm-hmm. You know, so the question of the origins of the beginnings, you know, mm-hmm. was there a beginning? And prior to a beginning, we could call that state a, bo- a void, right? Mm-hmm. So if there was a beginning, then to some extent that suggests that at some point there was a void, And then, of course, the question is now that there is something occurring, now that there is being, which Mm -hmm. is obviously the case, that's our main axiom here, Mm -hmm. is there a void occurring within that being? Mm. You know, on on some absolute level, the void uh, doesn't have full domain now. We know that's clearly the case because something's happening. But it does appear to be that at least conceptually – the void maintains a kind of presence. And you could say that that's fundamentally the fear of death, that you know, death is the feeling of being sucked into a void and we are avoiding that void. Mm-hmm. We don't want to experience that. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why we stuck that A before the void and we call it the thing of not wanting to go there, right. a void. Avoid. Avoid <laughs> the void. Yeah. Avoid the void. And, and, and that leads to lots of wonderful distractions. Oh, you could say that in essence, that's what we're always doing. And that at the bottom of this, you know, you are following us along, dear audience, on a massive distraction. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something that can be derived from it. Right. 
you know, after all, we look to entertainments and and various other things to refresh ourselves, mm. to get a new perspective, mm. and to go back out there and do what we got to do. Right. So there is a way in which all of this contemplation of the void and its attendant beings <laughs> is, uh, is kind of necessary in refreshing our relationship to the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Something like that. To find, yeah, so that we have some meaning to go back out into the world with. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the, the primary motivations for people exploring the kinds of subjects that we're interested in, mm-hmm. you know, because without them, we would be stuck in an essentially meaningless being mm-hmm. that isn't all that different from a void. Right. That's a really great point. I know for myself that if I allow myself to get sucked into the purely material aspects of life that I I feel drained by that void. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I, could, I think it's probably the case that both you and I have taken pains to avoid that <laughs> <laughs> and have suffered the consequences of that, of that process, some of which are great. Mm-hmm. Right, so mm-hmm. some of the difficulties inherent in taking a less trodden path right. are um, are truly enriching. Mm-hmm. You know, so sacrifices have to be made no matter which way you go. That's right. right. That's right. As as uh, uh, Scott Peck said, uh, you know, the road less traveled, hmm. there, it leads to some really wonderful places. Hmm. I'm not familiar with Scott Peck. Uh, it's a book. Uh, he was uh, an author. And he wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. Mm. And it's about taking that journey in life on the road less traveled. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, finding your own way. And um, and it can be difficult and it can be sometimes really alienating. And sometimes you can feel quite alone. And yet there's something deeply satisfying mm-hmm. about, um, you know, uh, living uh, for yourself in that way. Like not living for yourself, maybe that's not what I want to say. Beating to the drum of your own drummer. Mm. Well, you I know. think that the alone part of that is a necessary mm-hmm. part of the process. Mm-hmm. After all, we have the phrase "all one" within alone, mm-hmm. and it gives you an opportunity to, when you really uh, allow yourself to be alone and allow things to get to a state of stillness and silence, you are free from the distractions and from the trappings of the day-to-day life and are able to access things that would otherwise never occur. Mm -hmm. So the alone part of it, while it can be very painful and at times confusing and difficult, I think it's elemental. It gives us the opportunity to come to terms with ourselves. There we are back at the word self. Yeah. 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 So then the question is, are we coming to terms with the self that is the individual dealing with the primarily physical concerns of existence? Or is it coming to terms with the universal self, coming to terms with God, coming back to the, the statement which you made? Mm-hmm. I think it's both. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm 
I think it's definitely both, I, at least for me in my experience, that it allows me to come to terms with this physical being, uh, you know, this this manifestation of of, of Judah Vitel uh, having this experience of life and coming to terms with that. That's just a very temporary manifestation um, that may that's only been here 46 years and may not be here 47, who knows? Right. Um, but that I get to come to terms with this deep knowing of um, there is an eternal essence behind this physical temporary manifestation. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I think that that's a, uh, a point of agreement that also we could do a deep dive into because mm-hmm. to some people listening, they may think, well, why would you believe that? Mm-hmm. And it's certainly uh, from the point of view of the sciences right now, they have a very difficult time, a scientific way of thinking for some reason has a very difficult time thinking of an eternal conscious entity being behind all of this physicality, right? Mm-hmm. Although there are some key scientists who totally saw that. If you look at some of the quotes by Max Planck, for instance, Mm -hmm. he makes it abundantly clear that his belief was that consciousness was fundamental to matter. Mm -hmm. So it's always bothered me and kind of one of my main interests is seeing whether or not there's a way that we can reintroduce the scientific mind, Mm -hmm. which is an incredibly important element within our contemporary way of living. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that I find troubling is that because of this unwillingness to consider what might be considered more spiritual aspects, there's a kind of missing piece that might to some extent account for some of the problems that we're having in our global civilization. Mm -hmm. So if we can find a way of maintaining a narrative that would be understandable and consumable by a scientifically trained person. I think that really would be, uh, that's, that's one of my goals in this podcast is to try to reach out to those of you out there who don't believe in uh, a universal uh, conscious being, who don't believe in, you can call it God, you can call it, there's a variety of different terms throughout the ages that have been assigned to this concept and there's variety in that. You could say there's disagreement but you could also say that it's just blind men in touching an elephant. Yeah. So they feel a different part of the elephant, they give it a different name, it appears to have different characteristics but fundamentally there's the same elephant and you can interpret things in a variety of different ways. And my belief is that if you take a look at the essence of a lot of these great spiritual traditions, they really are referring to the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite term for this lately is the unnameable. Mm. Well, that fits perfectly with how the Taoists refer to it. So how can you put a name on on something that that is eternal, that's been here from eternity past... Mm-hmm. To eternity present, eternity future. Well, that's very that's, true, but we're also in in an endeavor such as this one. We're stuck with using names in order to refer to things. Right. So, how can we talk about something without having a name assigned to it? We just call it the unnameable. 
It's still a name, dude. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Didn't didn't now? Isn't that? T- t- correct me if I'm wrong. But is is Yahweh the unnameable? Is that what? I think that that's a good uh, analogy. You know, so you have the tetragrammaton Yod Yod Hey Vov Hey, right? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I guess the. Uh, the, yeah, the V is sometimes pronounced wow, so sometimes they'll say yod hey, wow, hey, something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's translated the first time, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, as uh, I am that I am, mm-hmm. is one of the ways of, of saying it. Mm-hmm. So it has, uh, and it, it consists of letters which, when rearranged, mean essentially. I am, I was, I will be. Wow. So there's your eternal nature there. There's your being, right? You could say eternal soul represented within uh, one word, right? So, yeah, I think of that as being one of the, uh, one of the other classic ways of referring to uh, the conscious substrate of existence, mm-hmm. let's say, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what the nature of that being is, you know, I would say that we still are some distance from being convincing about proving its existence. And that would be, I think, maybe step one. Mm-hmm. And then to discuss what that being's nature is and what our relationship to it is, is a whole other can of worms, right? Mm. Um, Because we're in this situation of having a limited capacity uh, to to our knowledge, we often have to rely on best evidence to come to some conclusion, you know, so we can take examples from the experiences that we share Mm -hmm. and from the information that's available to us and see whether or not there are things that point us in a a given direction in the absence of the ability to really know. And it seems that when, when it really comes down to it, many of the things that we take as being uh, an absolute given are continually being thrown up in the air. If you kind of look at the history of human thought, mm-hmm. it's been one overturning after another. And so just on that basis alone, we could say with some confidence that the th- some significant portion of the things that we believe to be the case now will be overturned in the future. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it's been going. Yeah. But there is evolution of human consciousness. Yeah. That, that's been occurring. And you could say that to some extent that operates in tandem with the evolution of the biological being. Mm-hmm. Because that's to a large extent. It's Our position in time and space is also circumscribed by our role within the environment. Right. So we have various... Uh, activities that allow us to continue our existence and our devotion to these the activities available to us have an awful lot to do with how we end up seeing things. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
so maybe we just hit the first one. I think so. So that's what's going to happen whenever we get to a moment in the story where the uh, the assembly arrives at silence. So maybe it's worth mentioning that, you know, we're going to have occasional dog barking going on here right. and trucks passing and that sort of thing. We could probably just paint the... The scenery for people. We're, no, let's not do no, that. No, we are in an undisclosed oh, location. We are in an undisclosed location, deep underground, <laughs> somewhere in the state of Oregon. <laughs> the dogs. Oh, maybe that's too much information. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should move to a slightly uh, lighter subject for a moment, just to kind of give a little bit of. Counterpoint. Yeah. One of the things that I was wondering, as you well know, having had conversations with me, I have a tendency to curse. <laughs> so I'm wondering whether I should resist that impulse or because actually I think it does affect like your rating on on Apple podcast, whatever search engine, all that kind of crap. Fuck no. Fuck no. Okay, fuck no. Well, that was easy enough. I thought I could milk that for another 10 minutes. No, apparently. I don't have confidence in myself to be able to hold back on, okay. on that level. Okay. Maybe someday, but as of this moment in my life, I really enjoy. Great. Um, well, you know, they say that supposedly, and I don't know if this is true, but I like it, that people who curse are more honest. And I hear more intelligent as well. <laughs> Great. So. I'll take it. <laughs> well, there's another interesting thing about the cursing thing, you know, because, you know, I'd like this to be as available to anyone who would be interested in the subject material. And I wouldn't want to filter someone out just because we're saying some fucking shit. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, we have enough to deal with as it is to try to convince people that what we're talking about is worthwhile. Right, right. So it might be asking too much for those of you who are offended by the use of curse words to reconsider why it is that you find those words offensive. Um, and... It's difficult to make a good case for a curse word given how flagrantly they're abused in our culture. Right. And when you see some of the entertainments that are going on now mm -hmm. that are just relying so heavenly, heavenly, so, <laughs> so heavily. Oh, no, there's a Freudian slip. <laughs> no, that was, wow. What did that mean? <laughs> We're going to have to go back to that and figure out what the heck was going on there. Oh, seriously, where did it all begin, Noah? <laughs> I'd rather just finish what I was saying if I can get back to it. Um, relying so heavily on being crude mm -hmm. and disgusting, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, stand-up comedy or right. some of the ultra-violent films that are going on and that kind of thing. Right. 
it's, I think, a disaster. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't want to uh, normalize any of that. But I also think that it's worth uh, thinking about um, what those words really are and why they're there. Uh, we're trying to be relatively careful with our words. Yeah. And which you and I tend to really choose words wisely. But we try and, to. And yeah. We try to. We try and do our best to choose our words wisely. Which is always in some tension when you're freewheeling because mm-hmm. if you're just letting a conversation roll naturally, there's a way in which just stuff comes out of your mouth before you've really had time to think about it carefully. And so the next thing you know, you got an F-bomb. You, throw, you got an F-bomb, you throw in a few things. I mean, part of what I think it's useful for is that it releases a little bit of tension mm-hmm. and whatever seriousness that's building up can be dispelled, mm-hmm. which brings us back to the assembly of silence, I think. Yeah. So there's a tendency when you're thinking about some heavy shit Mm-hmm. So take it a little too seriously. That's right. And so the use of the curse word, I think, in this case is something that, you know, disarms that to some extent. I think uh, that it provides levity to the gravity. Mm-hmm. And so, and therefore, there's some balance there. And we certainly won't become dependent on them. But right. certainly there will be moments in time where a little levity is necessary. No doubt. And I think it's also interesting to reflect on, you know, Quite often, people will refer to Jesus's admonition against swearing as being one of the reasons why cursing is bad. Mm, mm-hmm. But and this would be something maybe that would be <clears throat> worth exploring in some detail in another episode. If I'm not mistaken, what the passage is really saying there, Jesus is talking about don't swear an oath. Yes, he's not saying don't utter curse words. He's saying, let your answer be yes or no. You know, don't promise things that you can't deliver on, (laughs) basically. Exactly. So I think that's also an interesting thing to ponder. Yeah. You know, I think you hit right to the core of something, and that is don't say yes when you really mean no. Right? There's there's something – there's a lot of work for for – us to do around um, knowing what we really want to do and what we're capable of doing. Well, and if I if 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 you if I can't trust your yes, how can I trust your no? Well, I, I would say that actually the core of of the statement is to refrain from saying yes or no unless you really know. Right. So. And in many cases, as we've already uh, discussed, the knowing is not available to you. Mm. Circumstances are complicated, you know, and there are things that are beyond our ability to really understand. So when you're going to say yes or no, make sure it's really you understand to the best of your ability what you're saying. And it's quite often you really don't need to choose. I mean, there may be some instances where you rubber hits the road and it's time to say yes or no. But quite often, that's just simply not the case. And you can say, well, I don't have an opinion on that one or I'm not ready yet to make that kind of commitment. At this moment, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important when asked something like that uh, where you need to give a yes or no, that one, at least for me, I have to pause and check in with myself. Mm -hmm. 
And the the question I really like to ask, you know, is like, well, one, uh, you know, am I capable of, of delivering? Mm-hmm. Am I capable of delivering if I say yes? So now you're talking about the individual self. Yeah. Yes. And and the other is, um, how does it feel? How does this feel? Like if I if I so, say yes to something that really deep down in my being I I don't feel an authentic yes to, hmm. then I'm lying. So this is a this is an issue that you and I argue about to some extent. Hmm. Because I'm I'm less likely to think of feelings as being something that I can trust. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's going to be something that we're yeah. going to that we always have had somewhat of a disagreement about. Although I do agree that you can't think your way out of every box. No, and so there is something beyond the thinking process that has to come into play quite often. This is where you know I I, I said this to uh, my partner before leaving the house today that you're the mind and I'm the heart in a sense. <laughs> well, that's perfect because what I was going to say <laughs> what I was going to say next is that there's a there's a Chinese concept that's called heart mind. Yes, and it's basically the marriage of the two. Yeah, that allows for. The mind to step in if the feeling, because sometimes it feels wrong, but you got to do it. That's right. Right? That's right. And sometimes you can think your way into a very rational response that is totally inappropriate to the situation. That's right. So it's without a doubt, I think, a very useful way of thinking. We have now provided our audience with two wonderful tidbits, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. One is this heart-mind concept, Mm -hmm. right, of being able to think of the process that we're undergoing internally as being a negotiation between the feeling capacity and the cerebral capacity. Mm -hmm. And now having said that, I can't remember what the first one was. Heart-mind, we gave them heart-mind. And there was something else right before that that was just a really nice little tidbit. You know uh, that that you're the mind and I'm the heart. <laughs> mm. It's the <laughs> same thing. That's the same gonna, idea. I know, but they 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 have a little deeper understanding of what role each one of us plays. <laughs> but you know that role could just change at it any could, moment. It could flip. It yep. surely could flip. You know. <laughs> so we had this conversation the other week when I started to when I was talking about the nature of the heart as an organ of perception, mm-hmm. right? And that, um, yes, the sometimes we have to override whether something feels good or right or wrong, or maybe I shouldn't, but but morally and ethically, perhaps we need to do something. The mind has to step and go, no, mm-hmm. that may not feel so good, but you got to do it, mm-hmm. right? And and what we're finding, well, what science is finding it, um, is that the heart is our largest organ of perception and even thinking. Hmm. The, more than half of the heart cells are actually neurons. Hmm. And it's the largest electromagnetic oscillator in the body, meaning that it's the largest generator and receiver of electromagnetic activity in the body. Well, uh, 5,000 you know, times more than the brain. Oscillator. An oscillator is something which repeats, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's going back and forth. So mm-hmm. that's a, a pumping mm-hmm. type of motion, right? Right. And the heart isn't so, just a pump. It, when it pumps, it actually has a torque to right. it. So it's kind of a toroidal thing that's like spitting something out of the center. Exactly. Right? Like and a twist type of action. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, 
But you could say that in essence, the heart is something which is um, maintaining rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. And those rhythms could be thought rhythms as well, mm-hmm. right? Where it's, <clears throat> there are some fundamental messages that we replay to kind of keep continuity going. Mm-hmm. And that the cerebral f- faculties are things that are more linearly oriented. They're not oscillating, mm-hmm. right? There may be some things bouncing around in there, going around and around. Looping thoughts, for Looping sure. thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, more often than not, those are kind of heading towards pathologies, right? The Because there's only a, a limited need to really loop a thought. Right. And when you're thinking clearly, you're not looping a thought. Right. You're staying open to incoming information. But we're finding less and less and less of that in our society anymore. Well, you know, that was one of the things that I was thinking <laughs> when you were talking about the heart operating as the kind of most prominent receiver of, of uh, you know, I, I wonder to what extent that's true throughout society. Like, are we... Is that a variable phenomena between different folks and maybe different periods of time, different civilizations? I would imagine that would be the case. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it seems definitely true that there was a very different way of thinking and feeling in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, I would imagine that probably there was far more of an emphasis on the heart feeling and thinking in the past, and less of an emphasis on the cerebral. And we can see where that's really gotten us too. Well, yeah, that's true, although I think that without a doubt many unfortunate decisions were made, but there are also good reasons why those decisions were made. And this is also, I think, another kind of long-term conversation. You know, the, the degree to which we want to see the things that have happened as being somehow fundamentally faulty versus the degree to which we want to understand the things that happened so that perhaps we might free ourselves to some extent from the consequences of all of those decisions and plot a better path forward. Maybe plot is the wrong word, you know? Envision, Mm. at least. Envision and ideally walk, Mm -hmm. right? And the extent to which that walking is something that we are doing or is done to us <laughs> mm-hmm. is I think also one of the key questions you know there's an idea that in order to correct the wrongs of the past we need to do something now radical find a new way build a new technology all of those things I think we better think really careful before we do that yeah I don't think building new technology is going to be what solves our problems but I, I think uh, in my opinion um learning to develop the heart as an organ of perception and as an organ of thinking is going to be what helps shift this world. And I'll I'll give you a few reasons why I think that. When we look at the physiology of the heart, there's something called heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is the measurement of time in between heartbeats. Okay, And the greater the heart rate variability, the healthier the autonomic nervous system is, the more in hmm. balance, in balance, not imbalanced, but in balance is the autonomic nervous system, meaning that there's a healthy balance between parasympathetic activity and sympathetic activity. And for those who don't know, parasympathetic, 
parasympathetic activity is rest, digest, repair, respond. And sympathetic is fight, flight, freeze, react. Hmm. Okay. Now, heart rate variability is a is we can by looking at heart rate variability we can identify imbalances in the autonomic nervous system. Hmm. And if we're stuck in the sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system a fight flight freeze react where our capacity to think clearly is isn't really there or actually think openly and broadly mm. it's a much more narrowed point of view because that aspect of the autonomic nervous system was designed to protect us uh, from impending threats right right so we're gonna our folk our, our thinking is going to become hyper focused mm. Um, it, uh, uh, the blood is going to shunt to the extremities, hmm. our arms, our legs, our brain, so that we can run faster, jump higher, fight harder, right? It's a protection mechanism, hmm. okay? Um, and when you're stuck in the sympathetic side of the nervous system, that actually decreases heart rate variability. And when hmm. there is decrease in heart rate variability, there is a, um, that what science is finding right now, and this is Harvard Medical, uh, HeartMath Institute, there's so many organizations right now looking at this, that that is a determining factor of, of impending cardiovascular uh, um, uh, disease, hmm. possible myocardial infarction, and increased risk of death. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, it, it seems uh, incredibly interesting that the kind of self-protective mechanism of the body would cause the body to be more likely to die right. of its own, you know, natural causes, if you like. Exactly. That's fascinating. When we have increased heart rate variability, what that does is it increases uh, something called resilience. And resilience is our ability to prepare for, respond to, and recover from stress, challenge, and adversity. And, um, and it shows an increase with positive mood states and an increase in cardiovascular health. Hmm. Now, one of the ways that you can increase heart rate variability is through um, breathing techniques. Hmm along with cultivating, uh, renewing feelings, or regenerative feelings like gratitude, hmm. empathy, compassion, appreciation, care, joy, devotion. When you breathe and cultivate the sustained feeling of gratitude, as an example, hmm. that will increase heart rate variability which will engage the parasympathetic nervous system, increase parasympathetic tone via the vagus nerve. And what will begin to happen is the brain will sync up with the heart. Hmm. And, and So there's your marriage between, that's the heart mind. That's the heart mind. Interesting. Exactly. And now when we're operating from that place, when we're operating from the place of gratitude, and compassion and empathy, then we're less likely to do things that adversely affect our fellow human beings 
and fellow animals right. and plants, the world, the living world around us. Creating technology is wonderful. There's Technologies could possibly do wonderful things to save the world. But if we don't learn to cultivate renewing regenerative feelings of gratitude and compassion and empathy and care and appreciation and devotion, which allows us to cultivate a healthy living relationship with the world around us. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> maybe the first thing that, that jumped to mind is maybe that's why Jesus says, don't resist evil. Mm. Because resisting evil is triggering the sympathetic nervous right. system, right. correct? Right. And so in order to maintain heart-mind. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> if we That's- can... If we live in that capacity, if we if we cultivate that capacity and live from there, then we can engage evil um, with courage, without fear. Um, now we need to talk about what's meant by the word evil. I, we do, yeah. But really quickly, um, but we can engage difficult situations without the need to judge them. But to see them as this is what is happening, this is what is right now. Mm-hmm. And it's my ability, um, it's in my ability to maintain my center point. Well, look at how difficult it was in Jesus's case. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a tall honor depending upon the evil one is confronted with. Exactly. It's, exactly. One, it's one thing to have someone who's disgruntled and it's another thing to have someone who wants to string you up on a cross. That's right. Um, the, the issue of technology is something that is also a huge, um, question mark in my mind. And I would probably have some disagreement with your characterization of it. Um, I, I, it's always been a double-edged sword. So there have been things that have been obviously incredibly beneficial to humankind as a result of our technological progress. Mm -hmm. There's also obviously a huge kind of wreckage that's occurred as a result of it as well. And I don't think that process is going to stop. So to some extent, um, I think it's safe to say that technology is going to be part of the package moving into the future, whether we like it or not, and that we do have to make the best of it. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It's, it's um, here to stay. Yeah. And, and in some sense, you could say that the primary goal with technology is to uh, mitigate its negative effects by relying upon it. Um, how do you say this? We are becoming ever more reliant upon it. And to some extent, that suggests down the road um, a radical shift in the definition of what it means to be human. Mm. Mm. Especially as we go towards the transhumanist. I think the transhumanists are trying to figure out what that's going to mean. Right. And there's a lot of different possibilities. And probably the one which will occur will be one of the ones that wasn't considered. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, this, <clears throat> the issue with technology is, is that it, doesn't have a soul. 
as far as we know. Right. But it's not impossible to envision that it may, if not already, someday have one. Mm-hmm. After all, if we think about evolutionary biology, we believe that we all derived from single cell organisms originally. Right? So the scientific concept is that we had collectives of cells mm. which mm-hmm. came together and formed these organisms, multicellular organisms, which then came together and formed kind of higher organisms, if you like. Right? Now, at what point along the way did consciousness take up residence within these structures? Mm-hmm. And you could say, well, consciousness is with senses. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, the extent to which a network of connecting prior individuals is now able to bring information into some central point and then direct the activities outward from there. Right. That may well be essentially what we're talking about when it comes to consciousness. Right, right. So we will find out. (laughs) At some point, it will become quite apparent. And I think in some respects, you could say that it already has, you could say that the machine has a set of principles that has already affected the way that we think. Mm -hmm. And that many, we have all, to a large extent, had to adapt ourselves to the requirements of the machines. Mm in order to function in a technocratic society. Right. So we're undergoing that process right now. And whether or not it has a sense of being or not, we could say pretty safely at this point is that it does have the capacity to sense and respond. So that is fundamentally the definition of consciousness. Right. <clears throat> if you're talking about like algorithms and mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. right? But it's able to collect so, information from the world, yeah. do some kind of process, and then spit out a result that has real-world effects. Right. Right. So whether or not that will – whether or not that already or will someday um, create a, a being, a sense of being within there, that's another great topic of conversation. <laughs> we could probably spend another few hours talking about. But believe it or not, we have actually already spent an hour – Two minutes and 42 seconds. Wow. So this, I think, is probably a great place for us to say thank you so much for listening. Yes. And uh, until next time. Assembly of Silence. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at silentassembly. And if you want to be an angel, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash silentassembly. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.